Hello and welcome to episode four of Three Dumplings, a podcast from three Asian girls about the issues, concerns and absurdities of our lives. I'm writer Hannah Rose Yee and I'm here with my co-hosts, blogger Peony Lim. Hello. And photographer Kit Lee. Hi. So today on episode four of the podcast, we're going to be talking about mental health. This is a subject that is rarely discussed from the Asian perspective, but is also something that adversely impacts minority groups, both in the UK and the US and also Australia. Black, Asian and other minority ethnic groups in the UK are more likely to have mental health problems, but they're also least likely to seek treatment. And of those groups, it's women who suffer the most and in silence. In the US, the statistics are shocking. Asian Americans are three times less likely than white Americans to seek help for mental health issues. But before we get into today's episode, I thought I would ask my pod wives a question that we should be asking our friends and family more often. How are you feeling? So how are you feeling, Kit? I'm feeling very well, Hannah. Thank you for asking. Um, Right now, I'm really, really nervous because today we are discussing mental health and it's something that has been played on my mind for like couple years now because no one has talked about it and I'm really really nervous because my heart is pumping right now and uh, I think it's very important that we share our stories and hopefully we can learn something together. And how are you feeling Peony? I'm good I've had a really busy couple of weeks with work so this is actually quite nice to sit down and just have a chat with some girlfriends Um, and I'm excited about the episode I'm nervous like Kit I think I don't really Mm. talk about mental health so it always feels a bit exposing. How are you? What have you been up to? I'm really jet lagged. <laughs> I just got back from Australia on Tuesday and I did not get into the Sydney time zone when I was there. So I'm still like my body does not know what country I'm in or what time zone. Half I'm off in, spanning. Pretty much. <laughs> um, but other than that, I'm I'm actually good. I'm busy. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be chatting again. It's been a while since we've done this. Missed I you guys. You <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> Asking your friends and family how they're feeling and how are they is a really important thing to do. And it's something that you can do as soon as you finish listening to this episode. It's just a question that you can ask to find out what's going on in their lives. And if they're having any problems, they might be keeping them silent. And so asking them how they're feeling is a way for them to open up. So after listening, why don't you ask someone that you love how they are? When we were brainstorming topics for the first season of Three Dumplings, mental health was something that Kit was particularly passionate to talk about. So what has your personal experience been of mental illness, Kit? Oh, I I have a couple of stories. Um, One has been part of my life since I was about four years old. I mean, I just want to clarify one thing. And I know some of you guys have listened to our podcast. You may have heard me speak in a way that was very quiet. I haven't spoken much or contributed much in previous episodes because I have anxiety issues. Um, even though now I'm being recorded, I feel really, really nervous because I'm exposed to my speech problems that I've had since I was about five. And this is called selective mutism. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's It's an anxiety disorder that affects one in 140 children in the UK, which is quite a lot. And so, yeah, so I'm going to tell my story of me suffering with selective mutism. Um, I don't know how it started, maybe because I wet myself in the nursery, maybe because I was scared of asking teacher, can I 
can I use the bathroom maybe because I did that too really yeah when I was first at school I would always pee myself for like the first year because I was too frightened to ask to go to loo and my mum had to give me like chats at home like it's okay to ask I don't know why I was just terrified to ask did you wet yourself so I fully wet myself and you'd always go home in the school pants you know what I mean but like school wet yourself pants I do think that school can be a really frightening place for for young children Mm. and it can be like something that can you know like you said be the impetus for yeah I think because I was a small kid and you're asking an adult who's like what five foot six foot tall Mm. and you have to shout like raise your voice yeah raise your voice can I use the toilet I couldn't do that I think that was a trauma so I think I was about four or five when I entered primary school in the classroom for some reason I didn't spoke a word apart from answering the school register yes sir yes miss Other than that, it's just pure silence. So I've been silent for about 10 years, only in classroom. So outside of classroom, I was fine. I was able to like, hey, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And um, what happened if the teacher asked you a question like directly to you? Was that like really bad anxiety for you? Really bad. I I just could not utter a word. My throat just went, it's just totally blocked. I Mm. couldn't say, I just nod my head. I I just say no. Like in my head, I, just, I can't do it. Unless if I wanted to use the loo, I just go up to them quietly and whisper, can I use the loo, please? And, then, and do you think, just out of curiosity, how many other ethnic minorities were in that classroom? Do you think the fact that you didn't look white masked, the fact that you had anxiety around speaking and they just assumed that you didn't speak mm-hmm. English well because you no, looked not I mean, white? I think at that time I can speak English. No, obviously you yeah, could, but, but as in, do you think that's what the staff I was the only thought? Chinese people in my class, while other classes there's only one. Were there any other ethnic no. minorities? At that time, No. And did the teacher... I think it was just Fitmanese Chinese. Um, I can't remember that. And did the teacher say anything to your parents or make a comment on it or notice at all? I think the problem with my parents was that their English weren't that great. So I wasn't able to translate the issues. Mm. I think they only knew that I was quiet. I was quiet in class. That was it. Maybe because I was shy. But they don't know the technical term and what selective mutism really were at that time and it was a rare disorder so that can't be helped because there was no therapy at that time or I mean I had special needs teacher who who would sit beside me just to help me but still I struggled and that continued on for quite a long time and then final year of primary school I was about 11 so final year of school, we all had to take part in the school Christmas play. Thank you. We had to do it. You can't say no unless you're doing backstage or you get the main role. And I remember the teacher gave out um, some scripts to all the individual students. So I got one. And I was like, okay. People knew me. I was very arty and very creative. Maybe I could do backstage. So I checked my name on the list to find my name. But no. Then I checked the cast the casting list and I saw my name and I was playing this character called Twinkle um it's a biblical Christmas story you know Jesus and the three wise men that That, kind of Christmas (laughs) Christmas story so I was playing the character of Star okay oh Twinkle the Star right yeah and my immediate reaction it was like doom 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 
Moon and you zoom in, you saw my name, and it's like, oh my god, I'm playing a character of Star. So this character is called Twinkle. Yeah, and quite a big p- part of the story. And <sighs> I was quite upset. Um, and then I browse through the scripts and see how much speaking role I had. It was a lot. It was like paragraphs, mm-hmm. a few sentences. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like, I'm not very good at acting, but I was very good at an, in a non-speaking role. And um, I think the teacher was saying, look, you're going to secondary school in the following autumn. Was it like baptism of fire, they were thinking? <laughs> yeah. Just Well, they want me to build my confidence yeah. up and maybe perhaps say a few words, maybe surprise the teachers. And I thought, okay, I, I agree to it. So um learned my lines. It was pretty easy. I just have to basically take a screenshot of my uh, my lines and just pretend there were subtitles when I you know speak mm-hmm. my lines and I remember during rehearsal in a gymnasium we did a rehearsal for the first second scenes and I spoke my lines really loud and the teacher's reaction were like oh my god she finally spoke <laughs> because of a reaction that made me feel really nervous yeah, yeah I feel like they I made too reaction. big of a deal yeah. out of it she threw her arm like, like she would have done that with the best intentions but like that I just know and the other students were looking at me she was like oh, wow she spoke like people who knew me for a long yeah. time like oh my god I can finally hear her voice I mean this is a very long story I can continue for a long 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 time but even now it's been 20 years that I'm slowly gaining my confidence. Mm. But it also depends on what situation I'm in. Um, say at dinner parties or events, I'm just trying to like breathe, 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 just be yourself, just just be confident. And I'm still nervous talking about it because I don't want to be labeled as, yeah, she's Chinese, she's the quiet one. Like always, but back in the days, in the eighties and nineties, there were no therapies, no support network mm. that deals with selective mutism. But nowadays, now in the twenty-first century, there are. I mean, this disorder is quite common in young people, so there are support networks now, which is I'm really pleased. And in October, which is um, Selective Mutism Awareness Month. So hopefully this, my my experience will help to sort of gain an understanding of what, why I'm so nervous when I speak and also create awareness around it. That's my story, guys. I think people listening to the podcast will, will hear Kit gaining her confidence in the first episode she speaks a lot less and as the episodes go forward you see more of who Kit is that we know in real life Mm. and I think that's a really awesome thing for anyone struggling to see you can overcome it you can try with the support of your friends you You can can overcome it overcome difficulties yeah something that you mentioned Kit when we were planning this episode and talking about what we wanted to share on this mental health episode is how the Chinese understanding of mental illness and mental health is shaped by generations and generations and generations of you know ancient Chinese philosophy of Confucianism and basically it kind of boils down to the idea that 
family values are so integral to you know the understanding of of all life and how that affects mental health is basically there are things like saving face things like public respect and personal dignity things like pride balance filial piety and honor are all part of how Chinese people think about mental illness and mental health. It's why seeking any kind of help for your mental health as an Asian woman can be considered a sign of weakness, something that can bring shame and guilt to your friends and family. And this is particularly true, I think, for older generations, mm. and it is changing now, um, you know, for our generation. But certainly, you know, when you keep going back, you can see how older generations have been slow to change how they deal and how they approach mental health and mental illness. And the impact of that is being seen today. So you can see how, like, older generations who would be quite reticent to seek help. Kit, your story really brings up the idea of one of the big, big kind of problem areas for mental health and mental illness among, you know, Chinese people is kids and mm. students. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the planning stages, but, you know, the, the idea of students feeling the real pressure of the mm. education system can bring on things like, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, mm. um, depression, stress. And, and that is something that is like quite, I think, poorly, poorly managed international students abroad, you know, have all this complete other set of pressures as well. Um, mm. but even just like yourself, Kit, you know, uh, at home in your, you know, in your home country, mm. you felt that pressure mm. and it can go like it did with you really, really unseen and, and without any help. But it's also parents maybe at fault, like especially the moms, tiger moms. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, I find the parenting style is a bit, I say, brutal. Um, it's very different, I yeah, think. If you're very strict, I think if you're from a, a Western family background and dynamic, it's quite mm. hard to explain how different Asian mm. families conduct themselves um, and how differently what the norms are in behavior mm. to each other. And it's of course not any less loving or, you know, it's founded on all of the same values that a Western family would be, but how they interact with each other, what is accepted normal practice is completely mm. different. Mm. So different, mm. so different. And it's it is a much more um, vocal approach, I think. There's mm. a lot more just kind of the elder family members will be seen and respected and their opinion goes and their opinion is very vocal. And I don't think that's always the case in Western families, whereas it's almost always the case in Asian mm. families mm. at the moment. My parents are um, both doctors, which is Ooh. a very, I think from the outside, a lot of people thought that there would be pressure in my family for the three of us. Um, me and my two brothers to like live up to you know the standard that they'd put down and to have like similar careers and you know professional careers but um, my parents because they are doctors actually have really good understanding of like kind of the pressure um, that that you can put on children and 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 they never ever ever put any pressure on us to perform at all um, with me and my brothers are two three completely different people me and my brothers are three completely different people. <laughs> I think if my brothers is the same, what? that's why I'm like, me and my brothers, one and two. You related. <laughs> me and my it's brothers. Like, I'm the most important person and then there are some other people. <laughs> no, they're just similar. And so I always like think of them as the, but me and my brothers are three completely different people. And 
yeah, I do have a brother who's a lawyer. So in one sense, mm-hmm. they they got a traditional kind of like, yeah, we have a son with a lawyer. You know, I'm a I'm a journalist, um, a writer. My my younger brother is a mechanic, and we never had any pressure to perform. And I do have friends who got that insane pressure from their parents and it was crippling. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm so lucky and I'm so thankful that, you know, even though my parents sort of like, I guess from the outside, maybe it appeared that they might be those kinds of people. They, they never did that to us. And, and I'm, I'm so glad, you know, my, I remember my mum always was like, every time I had these like kind of crazy ideas of what I wanted to be, like when I was a kid, I'd like think I wanted to be like a university professor. I'd like thought that was quite a glamorous career. But I was like, Mistaken. I, I think I'd seen like Dead Poet Society or something. And I was like, or something like some kind of like teacher kind of situation. And Goodwill um, hunting. Goodwill hunting or something, or like Mona yeah. Lisa smile. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, this could be quite fun. Like I could like, you know, influence like young minds and like be really creative. I do think you'd be wear like tweed jackets. And then I just kept changing my mind all the time. And then, you know, how I ended up as a writer. And like, you know, my my mum was always like, Great. Like she just wants us to be happy. Um, the same with my my younger brothers. So we are we are really lucky in that sense. But but me and Hannah both have Western mothers. So I wonder how much that's the Western influence coming yeah. in. I absolutely agree. I had an unconditional support from from my my parents, and there was never any kind of pressure. And I had dyslexia growing up, and my mum was absolutely adamant. She I when I was very little the teachers would say, oh, she's stupid, we can't help her. And my mum was like, my child is not stupid. And in in the time when it was like not a common mm-hmm. thing and it was not, you know, now everyone's dyslexic, but that wasn't a thing then. And she took me off to somewhere urban to be tested and come back and find special teachers to do extra classes with. And so much of it, I realise I was fixed kit in a way that you weren't by my mum's support because she found the teachers that made it better for me on a psychological level. It Mm. wasn't that I particularly went and learnt anything in their lessons. Mm. But when I first started with them, I was so upset if we ever talked about my dyslexia that I would just cry as soon as Mm. we started talking about it. And through having really good extracurricular teachers, I lost that kind of phobia about it. And I realised that I was able to achieve whatever I wanted to, you know, and I went on to have a full academic time Mm -hmm. and and it was fine and and I think I'm I'm very lucky that I excelled academically as Hannah did and coming from a place of being the bottom sets and working your way through Mm -hmm. I know what Mm -hmm. that lack of confidence felt like and if I hadn't have had my mum's support it could have been a completely different story Mm -hmm. so I really feel for you having not had that experience because I Mm -hmm. think it is really shaping Mm -hmm. of how you view yourself and how you your self-value and everything feeds from who you are as a child. Like it, it's very difficult to leave that behind. I literally think it's power to the people who are able to become new people as adults. I think so many of us are influenced by our past and our childhood experiences. Oh, that's amazing. I wish I could really tell my mom about it. Like Maybe she'll need... listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, I don't think she wants to talk about the past as they let's move forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you subscribe to the theory that social media and Instagram and and platforms like that have impacted, you know, the reason why there's so much anxiety today and so much, you know, know, unsettling depression because you're looking at these images of perfection all the time. For me, I I think that someone told me a statistic recently that was published in a big English newspaper that 
on average, the public spends two hours a day on Instagram. So if you check, everyone check your phones now and see if you go into your battery no. life, you can see I, what I your viewing know. is for a week and then you can obviously divide be- that by seven. I only spend around an hour a day. And given how much actual content creation I'm doing... I'm surprised by that. An hour is like, if I do a live, if I do stories, that's already like half an hour just doing that without engaging with other people's content. That's just me creating content. So I think that for me, platforms are not negative if they're had in measure. And I think most people are just absorbing too much and too much of anything is bad for you. It's not, Instagram isn't the root of mental health problems. It's a symptom rather than the cause, you know, in the same way that full fat, you know, food, if you eat too much of it is bad for you. One, one fast food chain is not gonna kill you. Eating every single meal is going to. And I, I think it's more that situation. And also seeing so much of other people's lives pre-social media what did we really know about each other mm. only what we heard and what we were told and there was always an element of Chinese whispers and you know misinformation and gossip about it mm. now it's like you're what you're seeing what you think is hard evidence for a lot of people they think an image is 100% true and of course an image is just a moment even if it's true it is just a second in time it's not telling you everything that happened before or the ice cream that fell on your lap afterwards so I think there has to be an element of truth and authenticity behind content and I hope that the girls in the field that are being successful and moving forward have that attitude and are going on their stories with no makeup and telling you about the real situations in their life a little bit more but I I know as as a creator that it is difficult it is difficult to expose yourself you don't want to be branded like Kit said before you don't want to be branded as like the person that has anxiety or the person that has this or that and you don't want to share too much about your personal life if you know some people share a lot some people choose to share nothing there for different people I think there are a lot of different parameters to work around as well um most of the people that I know in the industry including myself have experienced anxiety or depression at some point because I think that all people have. I don't think that's a symptom of our industry. I think most women in general and men have at some point in their lives experienced a mental health issue. And anxiety and depression are just kind of key tags that most people hit at some point. I know it's so hard if you guys, are, if any of you are suffering with any mental health issues, I know that sharing with people, even people that you're very close to is really difficult, mm. but it will feel better once you have. Like it it just does feel like this massive weight off that you've just vocalized it. It's like the beginning of being able to move away from it. I think that for women, body image is a huge source of anxiety and mental health um, across cultures. It's a massive, massive thing for women, which is um, one of the reasons that I try not on my platforms, and I feel like you're the same, Kit and Hannah, to, to really ever focus on one kind of beauty or one kind of like this is the only way you can be like I try I always try and say like everyone is beautiful in their own right it's you know it's there isn't one look there's not one uniform idea of beauty or a good body or whatever you need to be yourself and that's the most beautiful version of you yeah I mean there is a lot of research that has been done into how maybe the way that magazines have been put together Mm. and the the visual type that is Mm. put out in magazines in terms of you know body image and diversity has really impacted eating disorders for sure that kind of research exists and and you know there's lots of talk about having mandatory BMIs for um say 
catwalk models. Yeah. Mm. Um, and some of that is already in place in countries. Um, but I guess I've had a lot of friends who have struggled with eating disorders and something that they have said to me, you know, as they're on their sort of journey to recovery, which they mm. have said is you know, like a never ending one. Mm. It's like always mm. something. It's, it's that always they will a shadow, with. isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like being an addict. It's something that's like always there a little bit. Yeah, it is for sure. And something that they talk about a lot is how important it is to maintain you know, kind of normal communication um, with them and how when they were in the darkest, like, kind of parts of their illness, the fact that we were able to talk as friends and have a a semblance of a normal social life Mm. together is, like, really important to them because it's really easy when you're having mental health problems for people to just drop out of your life and disappear Mm -hmm. say you don't want to deal with it Um, for whatever reason and that's fine. But for them it was an idea that, we kind of found ways to socialize that were not food related, which went, is really hard it when you think about hard. it. Because also, because me and you love food, yeah. <laughs> so we're like, let's do something to eat something. But the default kind of social activity yeah, it's is drinking a brunch. or eating, yeah. Or, or and 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 one of or my friends coffee, as well, or, yeah, exactly a coffee. And one of my friends as well who had an eating disorder, she um she doesn't she doesn't drink either, so we we oh, couldn't gosh. even go to we, you know we couldn't have a yeah. drink. Um, and so we found other things, you know, we went to movies or we went to plays yeah. or we went for um, a walk or whatever yeah. or road trip. Yeah. I or a road trip away. It... And it was like all those little kind of ways to stay in touch and stay in her life without dropping away, you yeah. know, um, and also not kind of like, f- like forcing anything in front of her. Um, totally. those are things that are really important. So if that is something that anyone, you know, struggling with, just remember to stay in touch and, and try and come up mm. with some nice things that you can totally. do with them that are not food centric and that, you know, means that you can stay in, in their lives. I think going for a walk is like massively underrated mm-hmm. when, when you want to have a good chat with someone somehow walking and you're not like sitting across a table looking at each oh, other yeah. you feel less self-conscious and you end up having these huge kind of dmc conversations mm. with i quite often go for long walks because i have a dog with um friends and with my husband and i feel like it's such a great space mm. also long road trips because you're mm-hmm. in a contained space and again you're not looking at each other's face to oh, face yeah. mm. i think sometimes people need a little bit of room don't like don't force it you need to give it the time and they'll they'll show you what they need to and being mm. out in nature too yeah. helps yeah. a lot but even I like i just go for walks therapy. like literally around you know the, the neighborhood yeah. you don't yeah i think yeah. a long Anywhere. drive is nice you can, you can listen to radio and then you have a a small pause and then yeah. chat. I mean, mm. like we were on the road. Yeah, me like, and we were like chatting. <laughs> we're like chatting, and then there's a bit of silence, oh, and then we're chatting. Out. I know. <laughs> you could have joined us. You weren't here though. You were in Australia, still. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but it, it was. It felt good. It yeah. felt comfortable. I mean, yeah. because we know each other for like what six years, and we already no, know. Well, <laughs> let's not let's not put a date on it. Maybe. Um, I think. Yeah, I felt really good. Like, I don't feel any ten- tension in my yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. She, she might know my problem or I might know her problem, but still. Kit's a great it, listener. It, it felt good. So I think long drive, listen to music, or even watching a movie. Yeah. Like a feel-good movie. Like, we were discussing about yeah, discussing yeah. about Bridget Jones, how it's made people so, you know, happy. happy. Such a great Love. film. Such a great classic film, isn't it? It really is. That's like that's like my feel good movie. Oh, it's the best. Or so Notting Hill. I love Notting Hill as well. Anything that just makes you feel good is yeah. something mm-hmm. that you should do. Like, don't read depressing books if you're already feeling <sighs> depressed. This have is a long bath. Um, oh, I love a bath. 
baths for stress, I think, are up there. Sugary cup of tea, cake, bath. Those three things to me literally can fix almost anything. Yeah, I remember mm. um, reading this article, this Tom Ford interview, where he said he had two baths a day, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's probably why. So, <laughs> yeah. like, well-adjusted and successful. I mean, you're just such an amazing human, yeah. literally. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be friends yeah. with Tom Ford? Emma Watson has Gorgeous. a bath every day too, so. Mm. Hot shower's good, especially when you, you know, the shower that you've, Problem with the shower is I feel like you don't, it's, you feel selfish to take no. too long yes. in a shower. Whereas in a bath, you're like meant to take your time. 45 minutes. I love a long shower hour. too, but it is hard. Sometimes I have to be like, no, slow down. You don't mm. need to race into washing your hair. <laughs> Just enjoy the hot water. No, I like shower around my shoulder where my shoulder gets really tense and the relief from hot water yeah. is like soothing. Yeah. I love a steam too. And it's like, oh, heaven. Heaven. <laughs> Are there any other self-care tips that you guys would recommend? I mean, my big self-care thing is is reading. I read a lot and I read all the time and that's a big, big self-care thing for me. And if I'm not reading, then mm-hmm. that stresses me out and I get really upset if I if I haven't read for a long time. But so what, what about you guys? What are your self-care uh, rituals? What are yours, Kit? I take a nap. <laughs> Kit does love a nap. Naps Do it. are good. Napping. Or if I'm with my family, like my niece, oh, she's, I Every mean, when I'm with her, so it's like cute. all my bad oh, Let's put her on Instagram because she's so cute. She'd be like, hello. We I need to get you. a picture of her like with us. She's a Should I go in? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cameo. No, she's at school now. <laughs> she's so quick. She grew up so quick. Um, for me, I think, I'm just introing myself there. For me, I think um, fitness and working out. Mm. I feel like the same as you do about reading, about working out. And I found fitness relatively recently. I was a really sporty teenager and then kind of completely just walked away from it as an adult. I've only really kind of worked out for the last two years. <laughs> and it, I find it time that is just for me and where if you're working out hard enough, you kind of can't think about anything because you're just thinking about the physical pain of what you're doing. Surviving. Surviving <laughs> through that hour. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Just just turning off mentally a little bit, mm-hmm. which is what reading is. It's escapism, isn't it? Yeah. It's just that mm-hmm. like, okay, and now I'm taking an hour just to do this. And it's something that's just good for you and it's going to make your life better. Like in the way that reading enriches you, it's the same thing. Mm. Body and mind, doesn't it? So Hannah, if someone listening is struggling or they know someone who's struggling, where can we advise to direct them? If you or anyone you know is struggling with mental health issues, please call the NHS or MIND in the UK on 0300 123 3393. In Australia, contact Lifeline on 131114. And in the US, you can call the National Depressive Hotline at 1800 826 3632 or the Crisis Call Centre, which is a 24 hour line, at 1775 784 8090. We'll add all of those numbers to our Instagram page so you can check them out there. And the show notes as well. Thank you for listening to our fourth episode and we hope you enjoyed it. We would love if you would rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts as it helps others find us and also gives us a little boost in the charts. In between episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 3, the number 3, Dumplings Pod. We have to say a big thank you to Badland Studios for making our very cute artwork and also to our producer Ryan at Shortcuts. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. (laughs) We'll see you next week for the penultimate episode of the season where we will be talking about the one question you should never ask (laughs) an Asian woman, where do you come from? But until then, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.